Welcome to Revere Assets, Your Money, with Danny Stewart. You never know how far the stock is going to go down. Tim Razor. Danny knows I'm a geek for all of this stuff. And Don Vandenborg. Telling it like it is. If you're seeking the best stock knowledge this side of Wall Street, you've come to the right place. I'm sorry, did I steal your stuff? No, you didn't steal any thunder. Who's handling this segment? (laughs) For the next hour, Danny, Tim, and Don will be talking investing. Investing is 90% psychological, and I love that. Trades. The market will usually overshoot to the downside and to the upside. And dumpster fires. Because it doesn't matter what you think or what I think, and it matters even less what Danny thinks. And now, here's your hosts... Danny, Tim, and Don. Banks in turmoil. To Roth or not to Roth, part due. $300 $300 million in advisor fees and still losing money? Trouble in paradise, the 10 troubling economic signs from my man crush? And speaking of that, are should you sell lower quality junk bonds? And is that an oxymoron, lower quality junk bonds? <laughs> Just saying. Uh, and we're having the deepest inversion since Volcker, since the late 70s when he raised interest rates to the high, almost to 20, high teens, and that suggests a hard landing. Trends with benefits. Now, I thought that was kind of funny. Wow. I, I like, I like, I like, I like the, the the term. I saw this article on that. But really, the point is, is is active management and the risk of a few whipsaws worth it for the insurance of not going down 25, 30, 35, 40 percent? And we're going to talk about that with Team Revere, and then we're going to go into the mailbag, okay? So in no particular order, folks, I'm going to do this a little bit differently today because last week I did, I, I kind of read too much and kind of did a deep dive, and it's, it, 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 it grinds the sh- uh, show to a halt. So I have posted all the articles and all the headlines on the show notes so you can go read and do your own research. And if you've got any questions whatsoever, please, please call me. And we can discuss that and talk about that because it really is specific. But a couple of the of the um, uh, quick house cleaning. Okay, so I, I uh, someone sent me this uh, uh, article about to you know whether a Roth or a regular IRA is better, right? And I even had a neighbor call me a couple of days ago and said, you know, my father-in-law is telling me I should do a, a, a Roth. She's you know in her mid fifties. I should convert my regular IRA to a Roth. Now, this article actually does a lot of different math scenarios. A bunch of PhDs from uh, universities did this, you know, and you got it. There's a lot of assumptions, tax rates, what you have to do uh, uh, before tax, after tax. Because remember, you, it takes more cash flow to be able to fully fund a Roth versus a regular IRA. Anyway, that's actually a, a pretty complicated calculation. But in a nutshell, the younger you are, and the lower your tax rate, the more favorable the Roth is. And then later, if you're older and you're at a higher tax break, the Roth isn't, or even a Roth 401k versus a regular 401k, is not as advantageous because it takes a lot more cash flow and you have less time to compound to get that difference, the money you paid in tax, to recoup that. Because remember, you paid the money in tax. That could have been invested in compounding and growing tax deferred. So that's what you have to look at. 
in any event, the main I would much rather have a current tax deduction or tax deferral than some uh, possible tax deduction or deferral in the future. However, with the Roth, it can be a little bit different. But, folks, it's also not mutually exclusive. You can split the difference, and you can put some money in a Roth and some money in a regular, and that way you're flexible later depending on what the regulators will do. All right, that's the first thing. That's out of the way. Second thing, $300 million in fees, $310 million to be specific, despite the losses since inception in 2009, was it? 2013, let me look. Um, anyway, we're talking about the ARC funds, Kathy Wood, and she has lost $10 billion over that time. And this fund has billions in it. Wow. But has lost $10 billion, But she's had some really stellar times where it goes up 70 80%. And then she's got times where it goes 80 or 90% down the other way. That's why you need a cell discipline. That's why. So the Kathy Woods art funds, they're a tool. They're an aggressive tool. You want to be aggressive when it's time to be aggressive. And you want to be pulling back when it's time to be pulling back. All right. So those are two interesting things that you can look at. Now, I want to get to the meat of it because I want to get right into the markets today. We, we've got banks in turmoil and trouble in paradise. And we're going to talk about whether the bond inversion is more important in taking money out of the markets or whether it's because of a liquidity crisis, which actually can be worse than, um, uh, than the bond inversion. Okay. So um, all the guys in the shop make fun of me for... Uh, Jeff Goonlock, because I like him, because I think he's very, very direct, forward, and honest. And he even talks contrary to, like, telling you that bonds are dangerous now when he's a bond fund guy. Most guys don't. I mean, he still is a little bit jaded, but not nearly like Wall Street. But he's also a good economist. That's what I like. So he's got 10 troubling signs. See what you think. Returns on a 60-40 portfolio are lagging. Traditionally, they, they do well. But with the one-year treasury or the six-month treasury offering four and a half, five percent 5%, investors are taking money out of, out of the longer bonds and going shorter. And so these, the bonds are getting sold off, the longer bonds. So the 60-40 portfolios are still not doing well, despite all the forecast at the beginning of the year saying this is the year of the 60-40. Remember that? All right. Consumers are piling on debt. Now, this is, can be considered both ways. If they're, if they're borrowing, at least they're still spending and keeping the economy going. But at some point, if their credit card debt gets too high, they pull in their talons, they stop spending. You go into recessionary. Strong jobs data could mean a bigger rate hike. I'm going through these very quickly. Okay, let me turn the page. Leading economic indicators look ominous. Okay, he's talking about the Purchasing Power Index. Uh, it says recession likely could have started today, even though it probably has already started. And he said the two 10-year yield curve is not, is not conducive. So the leading indicators are looking soft. The Fed, number five, Fed expects unemployment to rise. That's because they're tightening. Number six, Fed tightening is a negative for FANG stocks. No joke. Number seven, increase in volatility looks likely. Now, this is the only indicator that isn't showing a lot of fear yet. The VIX really hasn't spiked that much. Now, he wrote this a, a few days ago, but he said, you know, the VIX is still very low. It depressed rates. Look for rising VIX. That could help you out. Rising mortgage rates are likely to make housing less affordable. That's already happened. It's time to exit lower level high yield bonds. 
That's what he was talking about. And then the U.S. deficit and Social Security is going to need fixing fast. The government's going to have to get serious about Social Security. And he says that it's not by 2024, but by 2028, they're going to be in trouble and they're going to be bankrupts, not 2040. Okay. And he said the federal deficit is no longer your great your grandchildren's problem. It is our problem in real time. And it's just a few years off. All right. So that's very interesting. But 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 then there was a follow up thing he did on junk bonds. And he's talking about high yield junk bonds. And this is very important because that's a big indicator for risk in the markets when the high yield spread between high yield and treasuries or high yield investment grade gets widened. That means people are scared. But here's the deal, folks, with the high yield bonds. When they've got, they borrowed money at almost zero rates down when they were four, you know, prime was, was, was 4%. So they were getting loans at five or six and the spread was very tight. Well, now the spread is widening. People are getting scared. And now when they refinance that debt, they borrowed, they're going to have to borrow it at 13%, 12, 13, 14, 15, depending on their credit quality. And he's saying there's going to be lots of defaults. That's why you've got to be careful with the high yield bonds. Old joke in the market. What's the difference between a high-yield bond and a junk bond? Nothing. When the broker wants to sell it to you, it's a high-yield bond because it sounds good. When he wants to you to sell it so he can sell you his product, it's a junk bond. It's no good. There is no difference. But the point being is you need to get high, better credit quality and probably come in shorter term in duration. All right. Now, the deepest bond inversion since Volcker suggest a hard landing. And I, and I had a guy send me in the mail bag another article that was talking about how 20-second pause can help make you a better investor. And it really was an article about cryptocurrency and day trading. And that's really, really hard to do. So I'm not really going to go into that too much. It's a Wall Street Journal article. It's also a paid subscription. So if you want to go look at that, it is in the show notes if you've got a subscription. But basically it's saying sometimes when it gets really volatile, you got to sit on your hands and you got to pause and slow down your trading. It's, it's just a good uh, behavioral finance article about trading. But the point is, he also sent me a, a comment about what about... Um, um, the the inversion, the bond inversion, because everybody says one of the best indicators for the in it, for a recession is the inverted yield curve. Well, not this very not this recession right here. If you consider we're already in it, but previous to this one, the last ten bond inverted yield curves, we had a recession seven times. But of those seven, all seven had a liquidity crisis associated with it. So is liquidity crisis more important than the yield curve? That's what we're going to talk about a little bit because these banks right now, this uh, Silicon Valley bank ha is looks like it's having a run on it. And it's kind of interesting because the fundamentals look like it's got billions, hundreds of billions of dollars in the bank. It doesn't have a lot of leverage. And so they have cash on hand. But the problem is the perception can create the reality. If people perceive them to be in trouble, they'll start pulling all their money out, all their deposits, and you'll have a run on the bank. And that's starting to happen. And you're and right now you're going to see the banking sector and the and the and the and the um, regional banks get kind of dragged into this whole thing, even the big banks. So with that, I want to go to Don and the guy. I want to talk a little bit about this, about the yield curve and liquidity and how this could accelerate. Don, what are your thoughts on this, on the banking and about this perceived issue? 
Well, I, I sent out a tweet this morning that said, uh, as you know, we have a sell discipline unlike a lot of other advisors. And one of the big rules of that sell discipline is we're very well aware that all bear markets occur under the 200 day moving average. And we broke below that level uh, yesterday. Uh, this is that chart for anybody that would need a reminder. Basically, when you're in a normal uptrending market, uh, they usually top approximately 12% above the 200 day moving average. And, you know, and nothing goes straight up or straight down, but uh, it's usually 12% down. In this case, we were, uh, we topped after recovering the 200 day moving average, we got as high as 5.8% above before we broke uh, back below. So when emotion comes into the market, like when you have a situation that's going on here, uh, technical analysis has to take a back seat. The, the, the lines uh, on a chart are just that, they're near meaningless when emotion comes into it. When people are more concerned about return of their money than return on their money, uh, logic gets thrown out the window. Common sense tells you that when you're afraid of a bank run, like with SIVB, you're gonna pull everything out except for the $250,000 that the FDIC might reimburse you if the bank totally went belly up. They froze trading in SIVB this morning. It closed yesterday uh, around 100 bucks. It was down another 60% after hours. This, is, this was a, a $600 stock. Uh, closed yesterday at 106. They I, I saw it as low as 30 pre-market. Uh, this was a $756 stock. $763 was the high back in November of 2021. So obviously the whole sell discipline issue comes into it. But uh, the way we do things here, we're well aware of the risk, especially when we're under the 200-day moving average. That's why we hedged most of our portfolio, except for about 20% of it by the close yesterday. Uh, you're going to see a lot of up and moves down as different pieces of news come out. But there is really a, another Wall Street saying there's never only one cockroach. There uh, are other banks like FRC is a bank that kind of tends to operate as uh, an entrepreneurial venture capitalist type bank. That's down 15% today after uh, a big drop uh, in its share price. It was $147 a couple of weeks ago. It's now trading at 81, well off its lows. It was under 50 today, now it's back up to 80. So there's a lot of fear and emotion in the market right now. We know to just get out of the way, tread lightly when that happens until the dust clears and risk management again stays number one uh, in our minds. We don't know what the outcome of this is going to be. There's a lot of smart people that like to opine about it. Uh, we don't necessarily do that. We let the charts tell us what's going on, but we understand the weakness of those charts when emotion uh, comes into the market. So right now, discretion, the better part of valor. Yes, we're under the 200-day moving average. We know that what comes along with that. So best to just step back. Uh, and, and try to gather, let, let as much information be displayed in the market as can be, but understanding that that information that's being displayed is a lot of emotion and human emotion. Uh, fear is much more strong than greed when it comes to a human emotion. So 
recognizing that we're going to 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 take a step back and did you explain kind of what happened with this with this bank dan why it's uh, such a big issue well, no, and the ahead. fact that the fed yeah, yeah, yeah. for this say that again so yeah go ahead and, and how the fed is in a, in a lot of ways responsible for this so silicon valley bank back uh during the um when uh, the Fed was was flooding during the COVID crisis, when the Fed was flooding the country, the monetary system with money, SIVB had a lot of venture uh, capital come into it. They grew very quickly. So the the bank itself, uh, the stock price went from 220 uh, in late 2020, as I said, to uh, near $700. Uh, in or, or near $800 in October. So they had all this uh, money piling into them uh, from venture capitalists. They were, and they needed something to do with the money. Well, you have to invest the money and you want to obviously get a return better than what you're paying out, which is how banks work. So they bought a bunch of mortgage-backed securities, but the problem is they were, they were only yielding about 1.8% wasn't a problem then because that's what rates were but as rates started quickly going up uh the value on their books of those uh those mortgage-backed securities started to plunge it's not a big deal unless you have to sell them think about you got a 30-year mortgage on your house your house is going to vary in value it may go up fifty thousand. it may go down fifty thousand uh, over the course of a year it's not a big deal if you don't have to sell it if you just stay in it until you've got your mortgage paid off and that would be fine for SIVB if they could just hold these bonds until uh, they matured, they'd get their principal back in the end. But people started pulling money out of this bank because treasuries got so attractive, short-term treasuries paying over 5%. So a lot of deposits started coming out of this bank, moving into treasuries that their capital got so low with what they had on hand that they had to sell some of these mortgage-backed securities to keep their uh, capital there because of the capital fleeing out of the bank. It has to stay at a certain level. And when they sold them, they had to book a $1.8 billion loss because they weren't worth uh, something yielding 1.8% isn't anywhere near what its, what its face value is when rates, short-time rates are over 5%. So they had to book a massive loss. Then they said to make up for that loss, they had to sell a bunch of stock. They were going to do a two and a half billion dollar offering of their stock. Well, the stock started to plunge. Nobody wanted to go anywhere near that. Uh, the stock just over the last couple of weeks has dropped from 350 bucks to it's now it was halted trading this morning at thirty nine dollars. So. Uh, they, they came out this morning and said, since it's obvious nobody's going to be buying our stock, which is plunging, uh, we're just going to have to sell ourselves. So now they're looking for a buyer. They're halted pending news. Uh, there's probably going to be a white knight ride in and uh, take them over. Who knows what the price is when they're going to get taken over. <laughs> uh, but then the question is, who is there another uh, shoe to drop? Because a lot of banks, especially fast-growing banks, are in the same situation. They all have to hold bonds on their books. And if they bought a bunch of longer duration bonds uh, two, two years ago, uh, they're worth nowhere near what they, uh, what they were at the time because of how quick interest rates have gone up. And this is 
kind of an unintended consequence of the rate rate of the Fed raising rates as quickly as they did to battle inflation. It meant all of these bonds that's held on anybody anybody's books, if they have to sell them, they're going to take a big loss. If you can hold them to duration till they expire, till they mature, fine. Uh, but the fact that they had to sell them, they had to take a big loss when they sold them, uh, is what started uh, the run uh, earlier in the week. And now here we are. Uh, SIVB, somebody's going to take them over probably before the weekend is up, maybe before the day is up. Uh, but it's introduced a lot of volatility into the market. And um, banks just, we, we, we talked when, when I did the video on uh, Tuesday, I said small caps and large caps are really taking a beating. And we would dive in after hours to see what happened. It was obvious it was the financials doing quite a bit of the damage, but it settled on Wednesday. And then yesterday, uh, they started selling off even further. And small caps have been, and mid caps have been really underperforming the larger cap indexes, which is where managers go to park money in times of uh, crisis. Like if you look, for example, uh, Staples, uh, healthcare, uh, those are what are leading today. Um, industrials, they, you know, more, more reliable, uh, companies. The Dow is red while the, the other index, or the Dow is green while the other indexes are red. Indexes are well off their lows. Maybe this is the shakeout, the only shakeout that we'll end up seeing. Maybe there'll be more to it, but uh, we know when we're under the 200-day moving average, we're going to protect capital, and that's the way we're positioned right now. Yeah, well, so, and this is this is the whole point. This is just the tip of the iceberg, potentially. Now, they may be able to paper over this, and it may not get out of hand. But your antenna have to be up because, and Don hit the nail on the head, it's the Fed manipulation that causes these boom and bust cycles. So they cause the boom by, or the, the good time by printing all the money and getting everybody at the punch bowl with the Everclear, right? But then later when they start to tighten, uh, compounding works both ways and they cause it to, to pull back the other way. Now, here's the problem. Now that they've raised rates so high, Nobody wants to do speculative money or high-yield bonds or, or other things, so they're all moving to short-term treasuries. And by the way, they're dropping yields are dropping pretty quickly because people are piling into these short-term treasuries, and they're pushing the yield down. So the market is actually adjusting that a little bit. But if people get scared enough and they go into short-term treasuries, now you don't have people wanting to buy bonds or stocks or take risk. And so it can have a self-fulfilling prophecy. But in addition, when these stock, these bond, these companies have all their 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 loans on the books, and these guys have to refinance their loans from a four percent loan or a five percent loan to a fifteen percent loan, that's when you're going to see all the defaults, and those are coming up pretty quickly. So if that and that's kind of the story that's starting to get out, people are starting to realize that. Now Don's right, whether that's all priced in or not, we don't know yet. But it's something to definitely keep an eye on. And the market looked like it was firming up and it was getting stronger in January and early February. And, and now it's kind of changed, even th through the beginning, of and now it's kind of changed character and now it looks good. So with that, I'm going to turn it over to the Revere team because I do want to get to Ted. I know he's got a test later, so I want to get to Ted and let him go. And I, don't let me forget to do the mailbag, Don. Okay. Okay, go ahead. Take it, take it away. Ted? Oh, it's me? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, like, talking about how the market has changed character, 
Don, I sent you the breath charts. And the first thing I wanted to talk about was the New York Stock Exchange net highs and net lows. So in this last week, this past week, we breached net lows for the first time all year. And we are expanding quickly now after this bank issue with um, the regional banks, as Don and Dan discussed before me. Um, so that's definitely a character change. And then is that the NAS? That's the NASDAQ one. Yeah. And the NASDAQ is, is even weaker. And you see that um, this chart was taken about 30 minutes ago. We have, we are over 300 net lows today. And if this continues expanding, um, I personally think that we have, we have um, room to go lower because stocks just aren't holding up. There's a few, there's a few piano players left. And if the market continues to weaken, those will get hit as well. Um, so continuing on, the next one is the NASDAQ McClellan summation index, the NASI. And this one is just straight in the downtrend for the last month. Um, until this starts hooking up or even flattening, the market just has more weakness to go. Um, the RSI isn't oversold, but if you, if you were to look to the left of the chart, um, oversold can stay oversold for a long period of time. So don't bank off like trying to buy this weakness, especially in this period of time where there's mass panic, as Don talked about. Um, these indicators mean nothing when, when emotions are in play. Um, continuing on, the percent of stocks above the 200-day moving average in the S&P 500 and the NASDAQ um, have also deteriorated. If you see, like, there's a mini head and shoulders pattern at the top. We broke below the 21 EMA and the 50-day SMA of these breadth charts, and it looks like we're heading for the 200-day, at least retesting that. Um, so continue to monitor these breath and these breath charts. It tells us what's happening on like under under the hood as well. Um, and that that's this quick breath update for this week. All right, Ted. Thanks, and good luck on your test, man. Go knock it knock it out. Thank you. All right, Don. You want to continue? Yeah, uh, Connor. Uh, Let's just uh, segue over to you and uh, tell us what you got this week. I think it's pretty timely that uh, you're the your sector is the finance uh, sector is one of the finance is one of the sectors that you specialize in uh, for Revere. So, um, what are you looking at? Yeah, so um, I kind of wanted to just piggyback on what's been going on this weekend. Don and Dan did a good job of explaining the issues with uh, SIVB, but you know, I think this is pretty alarming when you look at KRE, the regional bank ETF. Before this news on SI on Silicon Valley Bank came to light, this ETF was already breaking down. Like Don said, nothing good happens below the 200-day moving average. So even if you were interested in regional banks before this, uh, this news came out, um, this ETF was telling you, get out of the way. This is not looking good. And so with this news, um, we've seen it across many other small banks, regional banks, but this is also funneled into some of the bigger banks like Goldman Sachs, uh, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, and just all the big ones. Um, and they're taking a hit from it as well. And I think it's just a lot of fear going on from the news with Silicon Valley Bank. Um, and in terms of uh, market action, I think it's interesting because this market's been heavily driven by what's the dollar doing, what's what are rates, 10-year, what are they doing? 
and those those have actually been selling off. So I think what's interesting to watch out for now is that given all this horrific bank news, um, fear, all that, I'm watching the correlation as if if there's some clarification on what's going on here and if some some positive news comes to light, potentially the market could rally. Um, you potentially could argue that the selling's been overdone due to the news. Um, but as always, you can't fight price. But just from going through, you know, I cover the bank financials and insurance stocks and all of them are looking pretty similar, just uh, bearish engulfing candles and, and signaling risk off. Um, so, you know, if you think there's more pain to be had in financials and banks, you can play uh, FAZ. This is a bear ETF that's just inverse. Um, but yeah, for me personally, I think banks just, you want to stay away from them now. And like Don said, you know, technical analysis doesn't really matter if people are worried about losing their money. Um, that's, that's what they're going to be worried about and, and fears what drives the markets the most. Um, so yeah, I just kind of wanted to piggyback on that and just, just talk about some, some huge, huge moves in the bank names this week. All right, thanks, All right. Connor. I, I do want to clarify one thing when we're when we're uh, talking about uh, that. You know, they were talking about you know technical technical analysis when it when things do break down. Basically, what we're saying, folks, is when things really go to hell in a handbasket and it breaks down big time, then technical analysis is just lines on a chart. Like when the market starts to crash, it does it quickly and it can do it in three weeks to a month. I mean, you can lose 25, 30% in a month. And when that starts and selling will accelerate, you start to hit a correction 10%, then it algos kick in, it starts to get worse and worse, and it accelerates. When that happens, you can't blink, you can't think, you've got to get defensive and move to cash you, if you don't want to have major drawdowns. And that's what they're talking about. So technical analysis is good when you're trying to identify a primary uptrend or a primary downtrend or, or like the range. Right. But once it starts breaking down and you start spiraling down quickly, it just becomes more and more oversold. So it doesn't matter that your technical indicator is oversold. It'll just become more oversold. It's time to get out of the way and let the charts, let the market reset, let the market reset and get in and, and, and kind of normalize again. Because when the market, there's a small percentage of time when the market gets really, really erratic. And that risk is very, very high. So risk in the market is not consistent. In other words, there's times when the risk is lower and it's easier to make money. And there's times it's very, very, very difficult to make money. We're in one of those times right now. That could change next week. But the bottom line is you got to take it in those. And, that, and that, those time periods that are really, really, really tough are a small percentage of the time in the market. But it's the most important time in the market. Because that's really when you got to be on your game and you really got to be ready uh, to make adjust big adjustments one way or the other. That's what a lot of people are not willing to do, and most advisors aren't willing to do. You know, our, our former employee, Tim, used to always say, you know, people pay us to sell. That's, that's, what, that's what people pay us for, is to get defensive when it gets ugly. All right, Don, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I just want to clarify. That's right. Uh, Zach, can you show the, um, the chart that I have up? Absolutely. 
this is a this is a, a prime example of uh, fear on parade, and this was the COVID uh, sell down. So uh, when it first, I remember one of the first things that happened was uh, one night in February they canceled a basketball game because one of the players tested positive for COVID, and then they started canceling games all over the place, and then it just it, it just really started to spiral, and the fear came in, and there's. Uh, this is the 200-day moving average, the black line. We know there's, there's danger when we're below that, but we spent uh, about a week and a half going up and down, back and forth. People saying, oh my God, get me out. Well, I guess it's not that bad. Uh, we can get back in. Oh my God, I'm just kidding. Get me out. No, no, it's all right. We had a big bounce. Nope, nope. Get me out. Get me out. All right, let's take a shot. Get back in. I didn't mean that. I mean, get me out. And you can just see up, down, up, down. There, there is no way to trade this. There is no way to... Uh, be strategic with what you're doing unless your strategy is to get the heck out of the way until things settle down. And then eventually it started to become clear that, you know, it's not going to kill 4% of the population. Uh, it, it, it hits mostly the elderly, uh, you know, different um, ways to to handle it. And, and it started to become clearer to the market that, uh, Things were not going to be as bad as possible. The uh, the volatility, the daily spreads started to contract a little bit. It was still uh, a lot of risk, but and knowing that we're under the 200-day moving average, this is what prompted us to get out of the way because we know all those big bad bear markets occur once you're under the 200-day moving average. There's no way to have a bear market if you're above the 200-day moving average. And there's no way to know if a bear market is going to be a 20%, 25, 30, 35, 40, or over 50% because of fear. Uh, this could be the tip of the iceberg. This could be something that goes away within a week. We don't know, but we do know that we're under the 200-day moving average. Things are going to be volatile. We just have a handful of small positions in the absolute best stocks. Uh, we're down to four. Two of them are green right now. Two of them are uh, barely red. Uh, the market's going up and down in ten per, uh, tenth of a percent swings every 30 seconds. We're just going to get out of the way um, until uh, until things clarify a little bit, until volatility ties down. The VIX is up an, another 7% today. Uh, this is something we had been paying close attention to because it was it was a tailwind for stocks for a while when you're down here below 20. Big spike yesterday uh, up. 18% uh, and up another 7% today. Um, so is it at 25 now? In. Yeah, it hit 25 and pulled back. It's at uh, 20. Uh, Still, though, that's that's a pretty big right move now. in two days. Yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, okay. huge move. So uh, that's how we play it here at Revere. We know that uh, a healthy market produces gains for everybody. We don't have a healthy market right now. Um, We've been struggling for several different reasons. The Fed unable to get inflation under control, but that is taking a back seat now to uh, this possible banking crisis, which pretty much came out of the out of the blue. Although when you see what happened to SIVB once they had to liquidate um, and take that big loss, then you start wondering how many other banks are in the same position. And then when you've got somewhere to put your money, capital always flows to where it's treated best. Uh, a 5% return on a six-month uh, T-bill sounds pretty darn good. Uh, but it, now everybody's doing that today, so what's happening? All the yields are coming off big time.
uh, and and that's that's the law of supply and demand uh, on parade. <laughs> it's also the law of market manipulation. That's when you do things like that, you're going to cause economic dislocations and issues. So now the Fed's fighting inflation is now it's kind of caught them in a trap where now the banks, it makes it real hard for the banks to make a profit and make money. So anyway, it, it's just the, the bottom line is risk is high right now and you need to be paying attention. You need to be maybe making some adjustments. But the real good point, the, the point that I want to make sure that Don, that didn't, that you didn't, didn't go over your head is Don basically was saying we adjust with the risk in the market. So your risk tolerance, while that's important, the risk in the market is way more important. So even if you're aggressive, if the market's just crashing or selling off, you need to move to cash. If you're conservative and the market's firming up and acting right, you can get in as long as you know you have a sell discipline and can get out. And so we dial up and down the risk based on how much risk we see in the markets. Right now, the risk is high, so we're very defensive. So we uh, monitor what is happening while it's happening, and we make adjustments accordingly. We don't go out there and make forecasts a year out. Hell, all those forecasts starting at Jan December 31st, all those forecasts, half of them are already wrong. We're only two, three months into it, two and a half. So, uh, you know, I don't know why anybody even listens to those anymore. All right, Don, uh, do we have something? Is Michael going to bring up something? Yeah, Michael, talk to us. Can you hear me? We yes. can. All right, perfect. Um, uh, so as I, I'm going to steal a word from from Dan, and I would say my uh, my segment today is is um, apropos because we've been um, we've been talking a lot about emotion, how um, things kind of get out of whack when when emotions come into play, and um, and and there's fear and and greed and certain things uh, driving the market. So um, what I wanted to talk about today are, um, I wanna mention two um, emotional biases. And I like to uh, think about these and focus on them because um, as as many of our viewers may know, if they listened to uh, the first first podcast I was on or, or saw my profile on uh, on the, the Revere website, I, um, I actually studied psychology. My background is, uh, I was a science major and, and my background is psychology. So I um, try to take a more uh, behavioral finance um, approach to, to markets. And um, I wanted to talk about uh, two emotional biases. Um, and the thing about emotional biases is that they're very difficult to correct. Um, so even if you have better information, education, um, that, that's still not gonna help you control your impulses. Um, it's really creating a, a discipline and a strategy and sticking to it that'll overcome those those emotions. Um, really, um, yeah, the best way to manage them is, is to recognize um, what tends to, to happen to you and, and why you react in certain ways, and then just put up safeguards to, to protect against that. So the first one I wanted to talk about is loss aversion. aversion. And um, losses, as, as many people have, have noticed in, in their own lives are significantly more powerful um, emotionally than gains. So what happens with loss aversion is that it leads um, to, to um, selling losers or holding on to your losers too long and selling your winners too quickly. 
And the reason for that is um, I, I have a little graph. It's probably hard to see. I'm sure you could look it up on Google. But basically, there's a utility factor between losses and gains. And as um, it, it sort of the curve goes up for gains and then it flattens out. So every incremental gain that you have in your portfolio won't add that much utility. It's once you've reached that threshold, that's it. But losses, as you come down, the, the utility decreases very, very quickly and then it flattens out. So what happens is when you're holding on to a loss, any gain that you have in that loss and recover in hopes that you'll get back to break even or any amount that it recovers is a, is a far greater increase in utility. So what happens is you end up holding on to that loss in hopes that, um, that you'll get your money back or you'll break even. And what ends up happening is people hold on to these losses for way too long until eventually they either can't stand it any longer or they're margin called or they're forced out or they just throw in the towel and give up. Um, so the way that you can kind of protect yourself against that is what we do here at Revere. And, and all you can do is have discipline and stick to rules because it's very difficult. It's almost impossible to overcome those emotions. We're humans and it's just part of our nature. But if you stick to your discipline, you have your rules and you stick to them, then it'll, it'll save you a lot of trouble because there are times, even myself, I, I really believe in a story. I like it a lot. I like the stock, but it's breaking down and it's, it's um, triggering my sell rules and I, and I sell it. Even though my gut tells me not to sell it, I still sell it because it's my rule. And then 99% of the time I look back and I'm, I'm just extremely grateful that, that I got yeah. out of it because, um, because the, the, the gut is, is very wrong um, a lot of the time. And then the second one I wanted to talk about is overconfidence bias. Um, so in this one, people um, demonstrate an unwarranted faith in their own abilities, um, reasoning, and judgment. And um, I, I definitely noticed this in my own life. There, there's so many things that I just think I, I totally understand or I'm right. You hear forecasters making predictions, economists. They're right. This is the way things are, should, should be done. But the market says something completely different or things don't turn out the way that it had been anticipated. Um, so um, basically, this is intensified by, um, by something called the self-attribution bias, which is where you take credit for your success and you assign responsibilities for failures. So um, it leads you to underestimate downside risk. If something didn't work out, you're wrong. It's, oh, like it, it, it was someone else's fault or it's, it's, um, it's out of my control. There's nothing I could have done about it. But if, if you end up doing well and performing, it's like, oh, like I'm a genius in a bull market. People that get involved in the market don't have a lot of experience. You, like there, there's, there's an experiment actually where um, it, it, it's kind of funny. Um, they had, uh, it's called a, a random walk down Wall Street where they had, um, they had monkeys basically throw darts at, at tickers on a dartboard. And um, a lot of the, like the, the monkeys basically outperformed uh, the majority of active managers in a bull market because it, it's, um, it, it's just the majority of stocks are going to go up in a bull market. Um, can't really go wrong, but it's when things get difficult and you, you have this overconfidence and you think you really know what you're doing and you don't protect your downside risk. Well, all of a sudden, as Don always says, it's not how much you make, it's how much you keep. And you're not going to keep on to those gains and you're probably going to lose them far quicker than you, you gain them. So, um, yeah, a way that you can detect that and really, um, 
hold yourself accountable to that is to um, to keep a record or a journal of all your trades and outcomes. So you want to review your your performance, your past performance, and really calculate your portfolio return and see if if um, if your your trades are are following your expectations. Um, and a trade that does extremely well and and goes up thirty percent in a day, if your expectation was that it was it was going to mirror the market or perform slightly better then maybe maybe that's not you necessarily picking a good stock and there could be a lot of luck in that too so you can't just attribute big wins as well to um being a genius either you've got to really think about your strategy and think about your plan and and really be honest with yourself and and find out if um if you are doing things based on your strategy or you're getting lucky and then see where you held on to these losses too long, where where you were wrong, and the the only way to do that objectively is to keep a journal and write down um, your expectations and and what actually happened, and then um, yeah, conduct a post investment analysis with uh, both your winners and your losers. So see where you went wrong on your losers, and see where where you might have even gone wrong on your winners. Um, because how right, you thanks, Michael. There, there, well there's as, um, as there's an old, there's an old saying on Wall Street: don't confuse uh, genius with a bull market. So, folks, yeah, what Michael's saying in a nutshell is it's pretty easy to make money in a bull market where you really separate the professionals is in a bear market and you see how much you lost or didn't lose relative to the overall market. And, and regarding that other behavioral bi uh, bias, that loss aversion, people are paying to be right. See, if they book that loss, then they've got to admit it. They've got to admit that that was a loss. In America, we do things, a buy and a sell. You know, we, our taxes are due every year, so we like to start and finish. And so we have, so so if I once I sell that, that makes it permanent, and it means I've lost the money. See, if I haven't sold it yet, it may still come back. I've even heard people say it all the time. I've heard this for decades. Oh, I'm going to wait till it gets back even before I sell it. Why would you do that? Ask yourself, why would you do that? You just don't want to admit that you're wrong. If you sell it for a loss, you have to admit that you're wrong. If you sell it at break even or a small gain, then you admit, then you don't have to admit that. Now, here's the thing. When that thing goes down and it's got a loss, mathematically speaking, it's actually if you find something that, so the question is not, should I wait till it breaks back even before I sell it? Or should I, the question is, is this the best place for my money going forward? Do I have something that will go up faster or, or I think is better, a better setup? Because if I have a better stock, if I book in a taxable account, not an IRA, but if I book that loss and then buy a different stock and it goes up the same amount, I got a huge tax alpha. So mathematically booking losses works out well. Keeping your losses small works out well. Compounding works both ways. So recovering from a 20, 30, 40% loss is much more difficult than, than recovering from a 5 or 10% loss, mathematically, okay? Brokers tell you, oh, you need to average down. So the stock goes down 5 or 10%, and they go, oh, you need to average. That's so they don't have to have the uncomfortable conversation with you about booking the loss. So you should be, so my question is, oh, it's down 10%. We want to average down. How come we didn't book the loss at eight or seven? Where is your stop loss? How did you determine what your sell rules were for that stock? Oh, well, we don't sell. We, if we really liked it there, we like it this, you know, at this, at this point. It's similar to that rebalancing story. 
where you got asset allocators, where they take a pie chart, 20, 20, 20, and 20. And then on some random arbitrary date, semi-annually or annually, if this piece of the chart went up to 30% and this one went down from 20 to 10, then they'll sell the 30 and buy back into the 10 to bring them all back at 20% each. Here's the, the, the more important question is, this one went from 20 to 30, so it's obviously was in the right area. Is that trend continuing? And should I add to that? And by the way, this 20% that's down to 10 now, that means it lost 50% of its value. It's a dog. Why didn't we sell it earlier? Or should it, the rest of the 10% be sold, not just reallocate based on some arbitrary date and asset allocation? So you constantly want to be screening, monitoring the sectors, looking for the strength and, 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 and staying away from the weakness. Like right now, earlier in the show, we told you banks are in deep kimchi right now. I was going to say another word, but thought the better of it. So right now, you want to stay away from banks. You probably want to stay away from riskier, higher beta stocks unless you have just a few like non and you have them hedged and you have small position sizes. Okay, that's how to actively manage money. If you do the asset allocation or pie chart, you've got to be willing to go through 30, 35% drawdowns every four or five years. We just think there's, there's a better way. Okay, folks. Um, Don, do you have anything else before we go out? No, we'll update uh, today's action on the uh, on the big show Friday night, including what's left of the 21 over 21. Oh, very quickly, we got to do the mailbag. Sorry, I knew there was something left. All right. So the, the, these are the two mailbags. I kind of went over this at the very beginning, uh, and it was it was uh, how 20 seconds can make you a better investor. That's a Wall Street subscription article. But in essence, it's talking about day trading in crypto and saying that if you just pause by 20%, it'll cut. 20 seconds, it'll cut down your trading and save you a lot of pain. Um, in my opinion, day trading is very difficult and unsuccessful. But the bottom line is you need to have some type of rules for a discipline. And you will know over time how well they work if you monitor it. Like Michael said, you, 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 you keep careful notes and revisit and analyze, okay? And then you can make adjustments if necessary if you need to tweak your rules, okay? All right, that's the first one. By the way, that if you got a subscription to the Wall Street Journal, it's in the show notes. Uh, this is another one. Good afternoon. In full disclosure, this is a client. Good afternoon, Dan. I've monitored the TMDX stock since Revere discussed it. I invested some funds I manage. I got in before it gapped up. Do you have any recommendations on when to sell for bullish and bearish scenarios? I'm using EMAs and key numbers. Thanks for introducing me to this stock. This was, I think, yesterday or the day before right before the close or maybe yesterday. And this is my answer. I said the most conservative approach due to market weakness would be to lock in all the gains now and look for a re-entry when the market resets. Alternatively, you could split the middle, taking half off the table and lock in some gains. Then you can use the 21 exponential moving average breach to sell the rest. That said, this is a leading stock. So if you did want to give it some room and be more aggressive, then you could use the 21 EMA as an exit at 74.83. I might use something slightly lower around 74.12 just to see if it dips below the 21 EMA, you know, and reclaims because there are algos trading, you know, using the 21. You always want to use uneven numbers for your hard stops. In other words, in between nickel increments. I said, uh, if, uh, 
stops if that is what you are using while you're working. We don't use hard stops. The market makers know where they are. It also depends on how much you have position size. If large, I would definitely take some off, take at least half off now. If not so big, then any of the above will work as long as you have some sell discipline. So again, remember I told you, you know, your own risk tolerance, you may slightly adjust these rules. More conservative, you book profits earlier. A little more aggressive, you let them, give them a little more leash and let them run more. But either way, you have rules predetermined in advance, okay? I have copied Don so he can weigh in uh, if it is different than my opinion, in parentheses, and probably better. But this is a good discussion and will make the mailbag. Cheers and let me know if you have any more questions. Thanks, Danny. Uh, Don's response. Hi, Jay. Dan's advice is solid. We love the TDM, TMDX story, but very few stocks can buck a market downtrend. We don't hesitate to lock in profits because we can always buy it back. Thanks, Don. So, folks, the whole point and the whole kind of theme of this show is that you have to have a discipline, so whatever that is. It's got to be rules-based and you've got to be able to articulate it. Then you've got to be able to follow your rules because just having them and articulating them don't mean diddly squat if you don't sell when it says sell. Likewise, if it resets up and it tells you to buy, you got to follow that too. Remember, when it's time to buy back in, it's going to feel wrong. You're going to be scared. It's not going to feel right. Okay? That's why you need to have rules to be overcome these behavioral bias that you have. All right, folks, listen, if you like what you heard, please tell a friend, tell a neighbor, send us, send them to revereasset.com. Up in the top right-hand corner, there's a subscribe button. Just put in your name and email address. We won't spam you, reach out to your bug you. It's up to, but you'll get this podcast delivered right to your inbox every Saturday morning. And every night, Don does a daily market insight video the day the market, any day the market is open. And we give you a short 10-minute, 15-minute video newsletter that tells you the short-term, mid-term, long-term weakness or strength in the markets, what we're actually doing in the shop. We're probably the most transparent advisor I've ever seen. I don't know that anybody that's putting out daily uh, moves that they're making. Then next to the subscribe, there's a contact button. Or, uh, subs I mean, a contact button. If you want to send me an email, you can just send it to dan at revereasset.com too. But that contact button, it'll go right to me. And you can ask a question about a stock, a complimentary portfolio review, or just something you want discussed, a topic on the podcast. We'd be happy to do that. By the way, if you go to our YouTube channel and just search, go to YouTube and search for Revere Asset, just Revere Asset, and then you subscribe to that. You will get an alert every time we post something on YouTube. So Zach is going to post this show probably by Friday at 1 central time, a couple hours before the market closes. So you'll get it before the market even closes today. If you wait until the newsletter subscription, uh, 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 it'll come in Saturday morning. So a lot of our stock nerds do both. They're a YouTube subscriber and they get our newsletter our newsletter we've got thousands and thousands of subscribers our youtube channel is growing we thank you for that so please tell people about us uh it's it, this is good full of good information you can email any of us anytime you have any questions it's dan at revereasset.com don at revereasset.com ted hunter or michael 
at revereasset.com. Ooh, nailed it. Or you can call. Did you say <laughs> Hunter? I said Hunter. Oh, I said yeah. Hunter. Oh, I did. I, said, I was thinking Michael in my head. I, I was thinking Michael in my head, and I was thinking, don't say Th Hunter, and I said Hunter. All right, let's try that again. You said Michael, though, as well. You oh, I did Michael. say Michael. All right. Yeah. All right. Yeah, well, we got Ted, Connor, we got Ted Connor, and Michael. And by the way, if it's any admin stuff, then you can always do Miro at revereasset.com. Folks, you can always also call us at 855-REAL-WEALTH. Have a safe and happy weekend. And next week, folks, I am on spring break. Woo! I am going to be gone. Don's going to be running the show, so be gentle. And please send in your questions to the mailbag so that he has a few things to answer. Folks, we'll talk to you next week on your money. Because it's not how much you make in the market, it's how much you can keep. Your Money Radio podcast covers general topics and investment ideas for research. It is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not meant to be investment advice. If you want or need investment advice, contact your own advisors or reach out to Revere Asset Management for individual investment advice. For more information, just go to revereasset.com.